Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We will continue in our series this month of living unselfishly living unselfishly we're going to be turning to first thessalonians chapter number three. First thessalonians chapter number three we will also be reading from romans 12 and uh, you can turn to those places or you can lean upon the support of the screen before you today i'm going to talk about love love without limits today love without limits because in reality to to emulate the love of god is to love without limits to emulate the love of god is really to love and to live unselfishly first thessalonians chapter number three i'll start with verse number 12. the bible says the apostle paul here is really offering somewhat of a prayer for the church at thessalonica and he says and the lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints just one verse if you'll allow me from Romans 12 Romans 12 and verse 9 the apostle Paul writes this let love be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy abhor that which is evil cleave to that which is good again we are talking about love without limits with this focus of living life unselfishly father i come before you today i'm asking lord that you would touch every heart and mind god in this place this morning god let your word god find us let your word help us let your word god be a standard god whereby we try to live lord our lives lord mode us and shape us god into what you would want us to be i pray lord jesus to live our lives unselfishly and lord one area of doing so is loving father i pray today without limits i let your spirit lord be felt lord and witnessed in this place in the name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning in jesus name It is evident as you read through the epistles of the New Testament where Paul was predominantly the writer of that it's evident that the Apostle Paul cared very deeply for those to whom he was writing. For one, he has established several of these churches all throughout different areas, so he has traveled himself hundreds and hundreds of miles, which I believe to a certain degree underscores his love and his care for these people and for these churches. But not only that, after he went the first time to establish him several times, he would go back to some of these same areas and check on them or at least send a representative of himself to check on them. Again, underscoring his love, his care, his concern for these people. In some of these places, I believe underscoring his love and care, he even jeopardized his life preaching the gospel to some of these places. So he has a genuine love a genuine care for these churches and by virtue of him preaching that gospel of course it revolutionized several 
of their lives and there were churches that were established. But the Apostle Paul was a great mentor. He was a great pastor, if you will, because he would come with his writings or he would come with his preaching and he would balance his words of correction, which are important. The word of God is even for that, the Bible says, correction. He would balance his words of correction and instruction with words of encouragement. He would come alongside some of those that were struggling and give them words of encouragement. And when he could not visit them, again, he would send letters to them, reassuring them that he was praying for them or had been praying for them, that they were a focal point of his mind. And one such of those prayers is our text here this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. This prayer that is found in our text is a prayer that Paul is making to God. And his prayer is very simple, but it's this. Basically, Lord, make the church at Thessalonica to increase and abound in love. Not just to one another within the walls or the confines of the church, but he says to all men. Now, whenever you start saying love all men, that encircles all. That encircles the people that you may account as your enemies. That, that encircles the people that you may account that betrayed you, denied you, said something bad about you. That also goes, though, that whenever he says just one another inside the church, it may mean some of those things as well, too, sometimes. But nevertheless, he said, you're going to love each other. You're going to love all men. And so whenever Paul is requesting this or praying to God uh, for the Thessalonica church for this, what he is doing is doing nothing more but mirroring the desires and the wants of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read several verses and probably say a few things throughout them, but starting with verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. He says, that's what you've heard. That's the way uh, the society and the culture in which we live in, that's what they have propagated. Uh, but what Jesus is about ready to do is this is what you know according to society. This is what you know according to where you live, but I'm going to ask something different from you. I'm going to ask you something to do something different than the societal norm. And can I tell you that the love of God is different than the societal norm? The love of God is even different from the human norm. The love of God. And so he tells them, basically, uh, you're not going to be able to compare what I'm getting ready to ask of you uh, to the, the societal norm. You, you can't gauge the love of the church or the love of Christians that are to be Christ-like by the standards of the love of the world because they have two different origins. They're absolutely different. For that matter, they are lived out differently. So he goes on in verse 44. He says, you've heard. You've heard now, you, you love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Whew. Everybody get out of hanky and just dab your head because this is rough, isn't this? Amen. He says that ye may be the children of your father, in verse 45, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is when we love like Christ, as he prescribes here, even as Paul 
prescribed in the, the book of Thessalonians. Whenever we love like Christ, amen, then we are pattering ourselves after our heavenly Father. Amen. Uh, we all have certain traits and attributes that pattern our lives after our earthly father and our earthly mother. But whenever we love like he is describing here in Matthew and in Thessalonians, we're pattering our lives after our heavenly father. He says, when you start loving your enemies and those that have persecuted you and those that hate you, and when you do good to these type of people, he said in verse 45, that ye may be the children of your father. He says, people will realize this isn't the societal norm. This is not something necessarily that's been inbred in them from their natural mom and dad. This is something heavenly. This is something that is a result of them being the children of God. Amen. And people will know the church and you are the children of God the more that we act like God and practice his manners. Now, I'm not telling you that this is like, you know, the easiest thing. This is like floating down a river. No. This is probably more like trying to paddle upstream, loving your enemy, loving those that persecute you. But the fact of the matter is this, that he speaks to us in verse 45, that God is not a respecter of persons, essentially is what he's saying. He causes the sun to rise on the, the, the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God is not a respecter of persons. He, he doesn't withhold the sun from the evil. And just allow it to the, the, the shine upon the good or withhold the rain from the unjust and just allows it to go upon the just. No, he gives to one what he gives to the other, regardless of what their characterization might be. Right? He goes on then to say in verse 46, For if you love them which love you, right? We like that. They love me. I love them. He says, What reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. Verse 47, if you salute your brother only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Verse 48, be therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. So he says if you love people that love you, that's great. That's tremendous. There's a lot of people that love people that love them. Mm-hmm. If you only salute those within your circle, he says, what have you done? Anything more than what the publicans have done. Now, see, I know that might not mean much to you, but it would have grasped the attention of that culture and that society because the publicans, the publicans to the disciples and any Jew in earshot, the publicans were those that gathered tax money. All right. And they were those that gathered more tax money than what they needed to gather. Because if they would gather a little bit more, they would keep the excess and go on and turn the rest of the tax money over to the government where it needed to be. And so they were, if you were schmoozers, you know, they would, they would get a little bit more, cut some off the top and then pass it along. And so he's saying they love people that love them. They salute people that are within their circle. And, and the Jews and the disciples kind of had a negative eye toward them because of what they did. And he, Jesus was saying, you're no better than they are. You're no better than they are concerning their love, amen, of loving, being loved and saluting those within their circle. And since they disdained the publicans, that was going to strike at their heart because Jesus was putting them on the same level with the people that they disdained by the way that they loved. Amen. And so in order, though, to be on another level, if you will, 
by themselves. They would have to love the way that God was prescribing, Jesus was prescribing for them to love, and that was loving their enemies and those that persecuted them and so on and so forth. And he says in verse 48, be therefore perfect. That's not perfect in our way of understanding of perfect. The word perfect there, be there. Be ye therefore mature. Even as your father which is in heaven is perfect or is mature. In other words, he was calling them to a call of maturity. Because mature people love not just because they feel like loving. Not just because it's the appropriate emotional response to what's going on in the moment. But they love because they've made a choice. And they've made a decision. They've done me wrong, but I'm going to love them. They cheated on me, but I'm going to love them. They spoke your words, but I'm going to love them. I don't feel it, but I know what is right. Now see, that's the love of God. Because if it were up to the love of God being based on emotion and feeling, I, I would deem today that all of us sitting here would not be loved by God. Right? Amen. Because if I start looking at the laundry list of our lives of, of infraction against God, disobedience to God, so on and so forth, none of us would be love. But God loved us. It's an unconditional love. It's not that I meet a condition and then God loves me, but he loves me. The Bible says while I was yet a sinner, he loved me. And not just that, but he died. He gave his life for me. What is that? That was a choice. That was a decision and that was an unselfish act because it wasn't, I'll love them when they deserve it. See, that's selfishness. That's about you, right? They treat me well enough, I'll love them. It's not about them, that's about you. But whenever you love them in spite of some infraction or injustice, then that is a decision. That is the love of God. And so we cannot, and I, I under. I emphasize we cannot take our cue to love from the world on how to love. Because if we use that as our pattern, our standard, then we will fall below what the Lord really would like and desire of us as his church. We got to take our cue from God. For that matter, we got to take our cue from godly men like the Apostle Paul who was trying to set the example for the church at Thessalonica. Jesus, oftentimes through the scripture, spoke of the subject of love and how to love and when to love. He gave even himself as an example. He says, you, you want to know how to love? Look at me. And he would give himself as an example. He did this in John 13 and verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one to another. So Jesus sets the benchmark. He sets himself up as an example. I've given you a commandment, but I've also given you an example about what I want the commandment to look like. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then he emphasized, when you do that, people are going to recognize that you're my disciples. They're going to recognize that you are my followers. How, Lord? By the way that you love. By the way that you love. Look at it, if you will, in 1 John 4, 16. We've got a lot of Bible today. That's good for a Bible class in a church. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. What, what a great testimony. What a great testimony of being his. 
that when you dwell in love, then you are dwelling in God. What a great testimony of being his that evidently people notice how you love and who you love. That's important. It's not just how you do it, but who you do. They'll notice when you're loving somebody that's unlovable. They'll notice when you're loving somebody that has done you wrong. They'll notice rather than getting angry and saying all kinds of evil things and mean words and spreading gossip. (laughs) They'll notice. Amen. So here's the fact, though, that Paul relayed to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. It's apparent by his prayer that he prayed. It's apparent. That we can't love like the Lord without the Lord's help. Can't do this on our own. Can't do this by ourselves. Love is not something, the unconditional love of God is not something that we can do alone. Particularly when it's supposed to be increasing. Particularly whenever it's supposed to be abounding. This is a result. Look what Paul said. He's praying to the Lord. Lord, make them increase. And make them abound in love toward each other and all men why because Paul knew as humans as individuals we can't do this on our own but if we'll tap into the spirit that we have received by the baptism of the Holy Ghost amen that spirit is capable of helping us love the unlovable the enemy the persecutor love all of them but we need the Lord's help and so my my advice to you today is I'm having problems loving pastor then ask God to help you because it's only going to happen if he helps It's only going to happen if he's on board to help you. And so there's two main things that the Apostle Paul prayed for then concerning the love of the church. Look at them. That they would increase and that they would abound. For our purposes today, two things. That their love would intensify, increase, and that they would broaden the scope of their love. That it would abound. Now the church at Thessalonica, it wasn't a church that was void of love. It wasn't a hateful church. It wasn't a mean church. As a matter of fact, in the opening verses of 1 Thessalonians, Paul speaks to them about their faith, their work of faith, their patience of hope, and he says particularly their labor of love. So they're just not a hateful, mean, unmerciful church out there. But what Paul said to them, what he prayed for them, was not something that was uncommon to him to pray over any of the churches that he established. It was his desire. It was the Lord's desire that these would be loving churches. They would emulate the love of God. And so this prayer was a common prayer that Paul prayed for any church that he desired, that they would go and increase and abound in the love of God. As a matter of fact, to the Philippian church, he said basically the same thing. He said, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. He wanted that scope. He wanted that to broaden up. And so the Thessalonica church did not disappoint. Yet Paul also doesn't relent his desire for them to increase. He says, look at it, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write to you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That's good. That's good. In verse 10, though, and he says, and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. So they were practicing this, but Paul's saying, give me a little bit more. Intensify it just a little bit more. Make the scope, if you will, of it just a little bit more. They didn't really need a reminder 
amen, of loving. He said that. He said the Spirit of God is teaching you and leading you, amen. And so, because the Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by what? The Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. So if you have the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you in increasing and abounding in love. And so he's saying, you all have been very successful concerning your love. But at that, I admonish you to increase it and abound more and more. Here is the fact of the matter, church family. It's this. The fact of the matter is this. You can never love enough or too much when it comes to the love of God. Now that's amazing, isn't it? As a matter of fact, when you go back to Galatians 5 and you begin to read the fruit of the Spirit, and the first one mentioned among that list is being love, being the primary fruit of the Spirit. It says, after it goes through that list, there is a phrase there at the end. Against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. Meaning that loving and increasing in love and abounding in your love, you don't have to worry ever being being outside of the law or that being outlawed loving increasing its intensity you never have to worry about that being outlawed for that matter galatians the 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 epistle of galatians also teaches us this that the fulfilling of the law which about 613 commandments the fulfilling of the law he said can really be encapsulated in one word love what he said all of it can be encapsulated in love The Ten Commandments, I'll tell you, can be encapsulated in love. Any of them. Because here's the fact of the matter. You won't bear false witness against your neighbor if you love. Don't have to worry about murder if you love. Don't have to worry about stealing if you love. Don't have to worry about having any other gods before him if you love. Don't have to be about worry making any graven image if you love. You don't have to worry about adultery and fornication. Amen. With the wrong other if you love. You don't. Don't have to worry about gossip. Don't have to worry about slander. Don't have to worry about backbiting. Don't have to worry. There's a lot of things you don't have to worry about if love gets in place. It's the fulfilling of the law encapsulated in one word. Love. So you can't, you don't have to worry about it being outlawed. You don't have to worry about it being too much. And so while the intensity of love should increase, Paul also prays that the scope of our love, it should broaden, Sister Margaret. It should abound. He wanted their love to abound. The word abound basically means this in the Greek text, to exceed a fixed number of measure. The scope goes beyond the church, but it doesn't exclude the church. The scope goes beyond the church, but it doesn't exclude the church. The scope goes to all men someone say amen Amen. see this kind of goes back to jesus again challenging the disciples to love beyond their brethren love beyond those that were loving them love beyond their inner circle he wanted them to love all men was the category that's encircling those enemies and cheaters and betrayers and deniers those that may be found for them hard to love to have a physical uh, or emotional a feeling to love but he says you got to love them again because this is where whenever you broaden the scope of love that's where you got to get to a place that love is not regulated to a feeling it's the agape love of God the unconditional love of God. It's got to charge through us as a decision. 
As a matter of fact, in reality, the scope of God's love is what Paul desired for the church at Thessalonica. For that matter, it is what God desires for all. We look again, the famous scripture of John 3, 16, considered, if you will, just the first few words, for God so the for God so loved the world. Huh? Wasn't it God so loved the first episode church at 1121 Cedar Street? And the other Pentecostal episode church at there? No. God so loved the world. That was his scope. The world. The prostitute. The drug dealer. The murderer. The serial killer. The deranged. God so loved the world, regardless, regardless of their hang-ups, regardless of their failures, regardless of their scars, regardless of their actions, God so loved the world. And so he calls us to that type of love, that we can look into the face of those that are diseased, scarred, wounded, hang-up, failure, denied, and say, I love that person. Why? Because God loves them. I love that individual. Why? Because God loves them. And I... Amen. It is a unselfish love. Peter in his epistle alludes to this broadening of the scope of our love. He's having believers. He's having believers in, in, the, in the book of Peter, 2 Peter. He's having believers add different virtues to the virtue that came before it. You see this in the scripture. And so whenever we come to 2 Peter 1 and 7, Peter, he's in this list of adding virtues to the one that's before. He says, and to godliness, he's doing this addition thing, add brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity, which is love. It's almost like this, Bishop. He says, brotherly kindness, that's almost like the narrow scope. He says, but add to that charity. He's speaking about that agape love, which knows no scope said we have the brethren you love them but now i'm asking you to broaden that love the insinuation all men add to that that's good don't do away with that don't bypass that but let's add to that you know it's kind of like back to that idea you know let it abound you know because sometimes we have a fixed number or this is the fixed people this is the fixed circle that i can or i will love If you will, the Lord says, whatever the fixed measure is in your mind, he says, push out the walls. <laughs> he says, push out the walls. He says, because I want you to broaden that. Amen. And so whenever we consider the apostle Paul, whenever we consider Jesus and Jesus having used his own love, his display of love as an example for his disciples. And Paul using his love in Thessalonians, he uses his love for the church at Thessalonica, that he wants them to follow his example or mimic his love that he had for the church because a pattern, no doubt, had been set by Christ. Peter has been a follower, or Paul, rather, has been a follower of that pattern. And now Paul is asking the churches that he is establishing to follow his pattern that's based upon Christ. And so they're doing all of this, and so he tells them, you know, look at it now in verse number 12. He says, when he tells them to love one another toward all men, even as we do toward you, he sets the example. And Paul loved the saints at Thessalonica. 
He had given his love toward them already as a benchmark that they would have love toward one another, all men, amen, even as I have loved you, love. Look, if you will, at 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 7, you'll know, look how Paul loved them. This is what they seen illustrated as love toward them. The Bible recalls that Paul, whenever he was among the church, that he was gentle among them. That's what the Bible says. He was gentle among them even as a nurse, it's the metaphor, even as a nurse cherishes her children. It's the imagery almost of a mother that is nursing a child. Now that's love and that is unselfish living. I remember those days when my wife nursed both of our kids in that during the night hour and 45 minute time frame that she had that was maybe rest. Before the next feeding. <laughs> and the love of cradling that child next to your chest. Yeah. The giving of had to watch what you eat because that affected what they ate. You were wanting garlic bread, but you knew that was going to tear Mariah up. So he had to abstain from garlic bread, or she did at least. <laughs> I'll take yours, dear. <laughs> Paul said that that was the way in which I approached you as a as a nursing mother that's cherishing her child. It's it's that gentleness. And he speaks of being in verse eight. He speaks of being affectionately desirous of them. They were dear to him. And he says, as I've been to you, so be to your brethren and to all men. In verse 11, then of first Thessalonians two, Paul says he comforted them as a father does his children. So in just a few verses, he takes both the maternal and the fatherly side of the parental row and says, this is how I love. I love you as both a male and female paternal love has a love toward their children. Now, that's a strong love, parents for their children. Take my glasses off so I don't see your faces. That is a strong love. It's so strong sometimes parents of done injustices <laughs> with their love. But Paul says, I've come among you as, as parents loving their children. That's the way I love you, and that's the way I want you to love. That's the way I want you to love. All people, that's the way I want you to love. It's the love, it's the love, if you will, of the prodigal's father. That after his boy is asked, give to me all that is rightfully mine, which, number one, whenever you consider that, when he's asking to get from dad his inheritance, he's basically, if I can interpret, the only way that you got the inheritance was if dad died. Give me all that's rightfully mine. <laughs> and he goes, spends it on righteous living. He comes back home. He realizes he has done everything wrong, incorrect, that he's not even, he, he has this plan in mind. I'm going to go back and tell dad, dad, I've done wrong. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. It's everything he has in mind. But as he's approaching his father's house, his daddy sees him, uh, that paternal love. He sees him afar off. He runs to him. He, he, he falls upon his neck. He kisses him. And before his son has anything to say about becoming a servant, it's basically like this. You left a son. You're coming back home as a son. Go get the fatted calf. Get the ring. Put it on his finger. Get the robe and put it on his shoulders. What are you saying? That's the love. That's the love we must have we can't hold all the wrongs against the individual 
Let me say it like we can't hold all the wrongs against the individual whenever they leave the church that whenever they come back that we can't get the robe and the ring. You hearing me today? Hallelujah. Because the love of God says you left, but you're back. And I'm going to try to reinstate you where you were once at, if not elevated a little bit. How is it that we'll not allow people in our circles of love that if God was here, he would allow? His should be the benchmark for ours. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Now look at this. This is 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Paul again speaking to them. He says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And look, and the charity or the love of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. God did not disappoint in answering Paul's prayer, and the church did not disappoint in being obedient and following the leading of the Lord. Paul's prayer, let them increase, let them abound. The prayer was answered. The work was an ongoing work. They had charity one to another and they were abounding. They practiced the love and they abounded in the love. Amen. And so practicing this kind of love, look now at verse number 13 of our text, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, practicing this type of love will result in God, establishing is the word, I'll say establishing, strong hearts within us, that are unblameable or free from fault and defect in holiness to God. Now, that's, that's interesting. Practicing this type of love. Here's the thing. Whenever you love, you're not just helping who you love. You're helping yourself. Now, don't get your motives misaligned. But my Bible tells me that when they've done this, when they've loved all men and loved one toward another, when they've increased and they abounded to the end that ye, he may establish you, your hearts, to be without, unblameable means free from fault or defect in holiness to God. Oh, that's interesting because when we talk about our hearts in Scripture, the heart of man, I'm not talking about the literal organ. Whenever the Bible speaks of a heart, it's talking about the inside, the soul of man. When we talk about the heart of man, the heart of man, quite a corrupt thing. Whenever he spoke in Scripture, he said, whenever there's murderers and, and adulteries and things, he says, those are the things that come out of the heart of man. Jeremiah 17 and 9, speaking of the heart of man, says the heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately what? Wicked. Who can know it? But whenever you love each other and love all men and you increase, intensify, and broaden the scope of that love, that type of love we are talking about is so powerful that it can establish, it can make sure and firm what was deceitful. It can make sure and firm what was desperately wicked. Aspect of our human nature, it can firm that up through our loving someone else. Amazing. Whenever I love the enemy, my enemies, 
It can make the enemy of my life. The desperately wicked, deceitful part of my life become firm and change its characterization and attributes. Mm -hmm. Now we know why some of you are still so mean. I'm just joking. (laughs) Amen. David repeatedly said in the Psalms, as he oftentimes wrote, at least a few times, he told the Lord, he said, Lord, my heart is fixed. He said, Lord, my heart is fixed. And if David was able to say his heart was fixed, there's only one way he'd be able to say that. And that was due to a love that he must express to people that helped then in return establish his heart and to keep his heart. Here's the important thing until Christ returned. Do you understand what Paul's even saying in the Psalms? He says he's going to establish your hearts to be unblameable in holiness until the Lord returns. If you get the right love flowing from you. Man, that, that's, you know, that's a good reason within itself. That, that, that is a good you know, motivation, if you will, within itself. Amen. If we'll follow the pattern of God. And so loving others and all people intensely, again, doesn't just benefit them. It benefits you. It will, if you will, loving people the way that God wants us to love people helps prepare us for eternity. Amen. It helps prepare us for eternity. Because when we operate in that and live in that, that type of love will constantly keep us moving in a forward direction in our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day it will lead us all the way to our heavenly home. It will practice that type of love. Now, everybody doing all right? Now the Bible says, our other scripture that I read to you in the beginning, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 Paul in another place of the scripture says let love be without dissimulation it's just a fancy word that means without pretending let it be without hypocrisy let it be let love be undisguised let love be sincere he says abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good but let it be without dissimulation and so here Paul really has about three points within this, this, this one verse about love, that what it must look like when love is at in work in our lives, lives of the believers. Number one, love must be without dissimulation. It must be, it must not be hypocritical. Love can't be fake. It's got to be sincere. It's got to be genuine. Not just for others, but for all. It's got to be genuine. People usually know a fake when they see one or feel one. Not always, but normally. But it can't be fake. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't let love just be a profession. Let love be an action. Amen. Number two, Paul tells us in verse number 9 of Romans 12 that love should result in us abhorring the evil. This is a strong word, but hating the evil, disliking and detesting the evil. In other words, for other people, we should be desiring good things for other people. We hate evil because 
In reality, from the beginning of man in the garden, evil has set out for the destruction of humanity. Wickedness is set out for the destruction of humanity. And so we must detest, dislike, hate, abhor that evil. We must stand strong against it because there is, folks, there is a real evil in the world today that is set out for the destruction of humanity. Its desire is to cut them off before they're ever introduced to the love of God. Amen. And we got to abhor that type of evil. We got to dislike it. Amen. We got to hate it. It's not that we stand over to the side and we are humored by it. Hear me? It's not that we stand over to the side as good pompous Christians, you know, and we're humored by it, taking advantage of people that have messed with it. And say, well, they're just getting what they deserve. Well, bless God. Thank goodness you didn't, huh? We've got to detest it. We've got to hate it. And yet he says then, furthermore, love should result in us cleaving to, which literally means to glue to or fasten together, to join to that which is good. Got to attach ourselves to those type of things, that good things would befall these people, that somehow, some way, there would be an intersection, amen, in their life that would lead them to a place of refuge, lead them to a place of safety, lead them. Lead some of our enemies, if you label them that. Lead some of your enemies to a house of refuge where their life can be altered and their life can be changed. Those are the things we want to be joined with and glued to. We want to see their path to be a path of success. We want to stand with Christ and we don't want to see anybody perish. We don't want to see anybody go to a place that's prepared for the devil and the demons. No, no, no. need a love without limits. Amen. It's a love that, look at your neighbor and say, it's a love that goes beyond. It's a love that goes beyond. Brother Mason, if you'll come this morning and you all may stand with me here today. In World War II, there were all these different atrocities of Hitler and the German army were almost too much to fully comprehend of all the mayhem. If any of you have ever read any books concerning the Holocaust or all oh, during that time frame, it is, it is almost very, it is very sobering to read. Scattered throughout this time of history, one of the darkest moments of our history, really, of a world, were individuals, though, who were risking everything for others, people that were not even their family because of the times. I guess there were about 22 people who traveled to London on a fall morning just back in 2009 to thank a man by the name of Nicholas Whitman, Winton rather. They, they could have passed, as the writer says, they could have passed for a retirement home social club that was going on a trip. These were, these were quite aged people. They were in their 70s and 80s. As they went to meet this man, they, they had more gray hair than any other type of hair. Their footsteps were shuffled. Their backs were crooked and humped over as they went to approach this man, Nicholas Winton, these 22 people. But it wasn't a social trip that they were on. They were on a journey of gratitude. They came to thank this man who had, in many regards, saved their lives. He himself was stooped over. He was a centurion. He was 100 years, 100 years old. They met him on a train platform just as they had years prior, back in 1939. 
Back then, he was a 29-year-old stockbroker at the time. Hitler's armies were all around, ravaging the nation of Czechoslovakia, tearing apart Jewish families, marching parents to concentration camps, children being left. No one was caring for the children, and so Winton got wind of their plight, and he resolved to help them. So he used his vacation to travel to Paraguay. He went there. He met with parents who incredibly were willing to entrust their children's futures into his hand. And so he would return to England. He worked his regular job on the stock exchange by day, and he was an advocate for children of these uh, horrible times by night. He convinced Great Britain to permit their entry into their country. He found a foster homes. He raised money for these kids. We're not related to him. He scheduled his first transport on March 14, 1939 and accomplished seven more over the next five months. Train loads of kids would arrive on August 2nd, bringing a total of rescued children, 669 kids that he rescued. On September the 1st, the biggest transport was to take place, but Hitler invaded Poland and Germany, closed the borders throughout, and none of those 250 children on the train were ever seen. But after the war, now this is unselfish love. After the war, Winton had not told anybody about all of his rescue efforts, not even his wife. In 1988, she found a scrapbook in their attic with all these children's photos and a complete list of names. And she asked him, "Hun, what is all of this? She prodded him to divulge, say what was going on, and so he began to tell her the story. Since that time, he has shared the story over and over, the rescued children, and now that little group of elderly came then just a few years ago to give their thank you. Very grateful group. Among those children who lived their lives, now retired, among them were a film director, a Canadian journalist, a news correspondent, a former minister in the British cabinet, a magazine manager, one of the founders of the Israeli, Israeli Air Force. There's some 7,000 children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren of those that he saved who owed their whole existence to one man, Winton, who in a time that it wasn't popular, said, I'm going to make a choice to love beyond the scope of my family but I'm going to love all people he wears a little ring that has a line from the Talmud on it that says which is a Jewish law which basically says this save one life save the world sometimes that's what it boils down to if we embow our heads today I'm talking about a love that's without limits I'm talking about a love that is Exampled and showcased by God. I'm talking about a love that we are constantly, constantly in process on. That we, we never like reach this total, total pinnacle of accomplishment. But even as Paul was with the Thessalonica church, no one needs to teach you. God's reminding you and you're doing a good job, but just do a little bit more. He's always just asking us just to love a little bit more intense. Broaden our scope just a little bit more. 
And so today I'm not here looking down uh, my nose at anybody today concerning your love. But I'm just admonishing you as Christ admonished his disciples. And I'm just admonishing you as Paul did the church. Let's just love just a little bit more intensely. And let's love just a little bit more broader. Let's make our arms just a little bit wider because there's somebody out there today. They might be sitting right here among us this morning. Amen. But if not, there are people outside of these walls that needs to feel the touch of the love of God upon their hearts and upon their lives. There are others that would admit today these are the mistakes that I have made and these are the injustices that I've done against God. And They're already carrying around loads of guilt and shame and apprehension about, you know, coming to the Lord or returning to God or what will people think or how will they respond to me. Let us make this a safe place today where people can feel the love of the Savior regardless of what their path may have been like, regardless of their trajectory of life. Let this be a place where the love of God is abounding unto all humanity and reaching, if you will, amen, to the highest mountain, to the deepest valley that it reaches and finds them. Hallelujah. Let's begin to pray all across this place this morning. This altar is open today. There may be somebody here this morning that says, Pastor McGee, I realize today that maybe I need to intensify my love. Pastor McGee, I realize today that I'm, I'm, uh, there's, a, there's a stranger or there's an enemy or there's someone that's done me wrong that I got some things in my heart I just need to lay aside today and I need to love. There could be somebody here today that's in need of the love of God this morning. You are here. You are feeling down. You are feeling you are feeling bent over and beat amen perhaps evil and wickedness has followed you on your trail try to make you feel as though you are nothing make you feel you are undeserving of the love of God I'm here to tell you this morning there is not a place like that God's arms are open and God is searching and longing he died while you was yet a sinner he died while you was yet a sinner he's reaching for you today God's love is reaching for you today altars are open hallelujah church family it'd be a good time to come and pray and ask the lord to just help intensify your love and broaden the scope of your love would you come this morning church family let's find a place to call upon god god intensify that love in me brother mason let's go right there to song thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.